Hello and welcome to OperaCast, your one-stop shop for the latest opera news, reviews, interviews and general chit-chat. My name is David Ward and coming up this month, Opera Prisons, a Polonium Potboiler and why are there so many Sopranos? We'll also be talking all things Swapra with our first panellist this month, the director and CEO of Swapra, Sophie Gilpin. Hello Sophie. Hi David, nice to be here. Uh, welcome to Chapel FM, what a wonderful place it is. Isn't it lovely? Very nice, in a little countryside retreat really. A little countryside retreat just outside the centre of Leeds. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you might also have heard the dulcet tones of Mr Ben Crick, who is also... How are you today, Ben? I'm well, well. Good to be back. Can't stay away. Good. good. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll always have you. We'll always have you. Oh, here. thanks very much. Yeah, good. yeah. I, I like coming. I like coming. We're going to kick off with one of our favourite talking points, which is a new season announcement, but it is the big one. The Royal Opera House have announced their 1920 season. There are so many things to talk about, uh, so many things we could go through that I'm just going to pick out a few highlights. Uh, a new production of Agrippina, the uh, Handel Opera, Barry Kosky directing, one of my favourites, Barry Kosky, so really exciting to see what he does with a bit of Handel. Uh, Joyce De Donato, Lucy Crowe and Estin Davis, part of the team there. What a cast. I mean, what a cast. What a cast. What a cast. It's a um, quality cast, and, and Handel operas need great singing because there mm. ain't much that happens. Yeah. So, so, so <laughs> what you're looking for is great singing because it's a set of the capo arias after another, isn't it, that yeah. one? So you've got one sort of world-leading American talent and then yeah. best of British. Yes, yeah. and it really is the best of British. It really is the best yeah. of British. Yeah. Um, two new uh, productions of Britain operas, A New Death in Venice um, with a... a, a all, all British and all establishment team of David McVicker and Sir Mark Elder uh, taking on board that one. Uh, but also a new turn of the screw in the Linbury Theatre. And I think what's really wonderful about this season is that they really seem to be embracing the Linbury, which is their mm. secondary sort of small performance space to stage um, particular works that will work really well in that space. So I think turn of the screw is a great choice to do. In yeah, the I think it's fantastic, and having a you know uh, a female director is always a, a bonus. There, uh, get that one in. <laughs> early. Like, let's start, let's start early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've so. worked in the Limbury Theatre, and when I was there, I think an accent thing. I did get the feeling the thought were there to deliver coal or mend the roof or something like that. <laughs> the fact that I was working there in a musical, it gave a bit of a shock to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I haven't been since it's been redeveloped. It's beautiful, really beautiful space, um, really comfortable, great acoustics, um, great views. Uh, I think they couldn't have done a better job. Yeah, so great to have that there and a number of other performances in that uh, that space as well, uh, including a new opera by Matt Rogers. Uh, she described it uh, to death is going to be in the Limbury Theatre. Um, a couple of other highlights that I, I picked out, uh, Christine Rice and Louise Alder in Casper Holton's Don Giovanni, again, two great uh, British singers uh, going head-to-head there. Um, really, uh, another interesting project in the Lindbury Theatre called Zauberland, um, a combination yeah. of Schumann's Dichterliebe with new music by Martin Crimp, uh, set in a, a Middle East conflict zone, uh, directed by Katie Mitchell for a soprano and four actors. Um, so not quite sure what to expect from that, but it seems to have all the right ingredients. Um, and I say, again, really using a space like the Limbury um, to the to the best effect. This the type of work that might get lost yeah, on the main stage. It sounds really interesting to uh, uh, to be looking at the, that combination of art forms as well, having opera and music, but also having actors involved. And I think the Limbury is absolutely the right space for that. And it, it seems really exciting what they're doing with their programming. Yeah, and I think bringing together the leader and opera as well. I mean, we, we obviously have here in Leeds, the Leeds Leader Festival, mm -hmm. uh, as well as Opera North and, and other opera companies are available. Um, but that's a kind of combination of the forms. And often you get two very kind of distinct audiences for leader and mm -hmm. opera. Um, but obviously there's probably more that unites them that, that doesn't. So quite yeah. interesting to see what, Kind of in a in a uh, kind of staged way, um, they might bring to to the the Dicter Libra as well as the new music by Martin Crimp. Yeah, yeah. Um, a real focus on uh, family uh, operas and performances as well. There'll be a, a main stage production of Alice's Adventures Underground by Gerald Barry, uh, and also a, a, an opera in the Limbury, The Lost Thing, um, and three uh, particular highlights from the cinema season: Fidelio with Mr. Kaufman. Don Pasquale with Mr. Turfle and Electra with Miss Nina Stemmer. So an action-packed uh, mm -hmm. all-go 1920 season. Um, anything there, Ben, which particularly uh, took your fancy? The, it's interesting. The Schumann could go one or two ways, couldn't it? The Dick Delivery. It could be fantastic or it could be ghastly. So let's see, uh, <laughs> let's go see how that one pans out. But I'll be f interested to that. And the thing is, Fidelio's great. It's, we always look for the quirky, we look for the weird. But to do Fidelio really well with Kaufman singing it, 
it's really exciting, isn't it? That's, that will be fantastic. And it's on its cinema, so we actually get to see it, yeah. which is great. And we've, we've spoken about this before. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. there, is, there is a place for, you know, I see it kind of to have at least one company where you just go, you know what, you know, here's a yeah. big bit of chunky yeah. public investment, which they match with philanthropy and mm -hmm. ticket sales to go, let's get in the world's leading talent. So yeah. we here in the UK can either hopefully get a ticket, um, and yeah, it, but if we, not, yeah, which we can't, but there are, <laughs> yeah, there are other ways them. that you might be able to kind of get yeah. to see those people as well. And um, you know, they always uh, put out a really um, exciting array of, of talent at the Opera House. They do. I mean, I have problems with how the Opera House is funded, as you know, but we need a gold standard. We need something up there that's the world leading in opera in this country. Now, I think I'd prefer an American model where it's done more through philanthropy and more through private donors than just rinsing a load of the Arts Council's money. But if, if if that's the way it's got to be, so be it, and we'll have the great work. Yeah. Um, also really interesting as well to see that they're having a big focus on their uh, learning and engagement work in Doncaster next year. Yeah, Donne. this is very interesting. In, in, in Donne. Donne. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, we always ask for the Royal Opera House to have an actual national remit. Yeah. And obviously Doncaster is one particular place, but it is a real effort to concentrate activity somewhere outside the capital. Yeah, I think they are very conscious of that. I think there's a... Um, the learning and participation department there is is so much bigger than I think I realised until, you know, the last year or so. Um, and their reach outside of London, outside of the Opera House, is, does seem to be growing, uh, and that feels really important. And, you know, if it starts in Doncaster, fantastic. Well, you'd love to start the um, pig, Donny. Like, what's the, <laughs> pro what's the process that got to Doncaster? Kevin, Kevin O'Hare, who's the director of the Royal Ballet, he's from Hull originally, met Ed Miliband. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, he went, Don is great. And Ed Miliband. <laughs> well, I think there's two things. One is that, and two, it looks as though there's quite a lot of funding available in Doncaster. Right, yeah, I can, <laughs> so, I can imagine, yeah I, yeah. I don't want to throw aspersions on why they're going Go there. to Donny, yeah. But when there's money available, there's yeah. always a good reason to perhaps make that your area yeah, 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 that, yeah. that's just real in it that's just the real world that's the reality that's reality and, and um, how we're at yeah but you can start it there you can start it where the money is and prove its success and then move on so you know yeah. let's let's see let's see what happens yeah, yeah so. well, hopefully it's the start of more things yeah, outside I hope of London because so. yeah. 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 they have got a national remit and they do do things outside yeah. of London but as a percentage, it's all yeah. in London. Isn't it, really? I mean, they do do yeah. stuff around Thurrock as well. Yeah. So, you know, they, 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 which is just outside just, London. Just, just. Certainly the M25 they, corridor. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, but yeah. we're, you know, I, I look forward to seeing how far, how far they can reach, uh, yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so all, all fair play to them. Um, really exciting season. Uh, one thing to pick out, there's been a little bit of a stir over um, an observation mm. made. Just the one female conductor on the main stage, and, and that conductor is only doing a few performances of, yeah. uh, I think it's Lab OM. Um, Oli Mears, the new artistic director of the Royal Opera House, asked about this, said it's not an acceptable ratio at all. This is something which is a long-term project. It's not going to happen instantly and in the following years with a much better ratio of female conductors and it's something which is an absolute priority for us. Now, I would argue um, that if it's an absolute priority, you could probably do better than part of one opera being conducted by a female conductor. Um, yes. But it's obviously something that they're going to have to be held accountable to. Yeah. They are. Actually, go on, sir. This is your bag, in it, love? Well, it's after, every, after you. It's everyone's on, bag, and I think yeah. that's. I think it's really important that these these conversations are happening. Yeah. Um, I uh, I think Ollie's response is uh, important, um, and it shows that he he values the um, you know the increase of the number of women uh, uh, in front of orchestras. Um, it is a shame that it hasn't happened more more quickly, and particularly that the only female conductor they have uh, in this season is is a guest conductor with I think three performances. Mm. Um, so out of, gosh, no, how many out of a lot. Yeah, um, so it's it's not even that she has her own show. So I think that's a real shame. But it's you know. I I'm reluctant to criticise when people are moving in the right direction, um, and I really hope that we that we do see more. We have such a vast range of extraordinary female conductors who are ready and waiting, and I'm sure you know willing to to be given these gigs. Um, and I, I would love to see that happening more frequently, um, and for us to stop having to have this conversation, to be honest, um, and for us to stop identifying. I mean, I did in a tongue-in-cheek way earlier about the. Uh, that you know, having a female female director in the Lindbury, but I, you know, it, it, they do stand out these moments, and I would love to get to the point where where we don't notice that anymore. Yeah, it is, but I, but I think the problem at Covent Garden isn't the problem. It's the problem at Covent Garden is symptomatic. The problem's much lower down the food chain. So what we need to do, if we judge inequality, I, I think we don't judge equality by outcome, but we judge equality by opportunity. Mm -hmm. And the question is, why aren't we bringing more female 
leaders, let's call them arts leaders, being directors yeah. or conductors or whatever, why aren't they getting the opportunities early along to get to the stage where you're yeah. at Covent Garden? I'd love to know, I don't know the answer, how many non-white conductors are this season at Covent Garden? How many non-privately educated yeah. are the conductors yeah. at Covent Garden? I think there's, there's two issues yeah. there, though. I think absolutely the grassroots issue is a problem, um, but it's also a very easy excuse for not engaging with the conductors that uh, the female conductors that are there because there's loads of them because there's loads of them and there are there are loads of women who are who are conducted in incredibly high standards some of them just symphonic or orchestral works some of them ballet some of them opera as well Um, and i would love to see more of them being engaged with um at at the top levels now, whilst we simultaneously tackle the grassroots issue, I think it's not one or the other. And I think it's very easy to say someone else has to deal with this grassroots issue whilst we sit and work with the men that we know. Um, and I don't think anybody's saying that directly, but I, I, you know, I would, I would love to see more engagement with the people who are there because we do have them. We have some fantastic women um, conducting. Um, at a really high level, many of whom, shockingly, um, are not represented by British agents. Um, and this is another issue that uh, James Murphy has talked about this in quite a lot of detail, but um, around how we've got these incredible women working at a high standard, not not being represented by British agents. Uh, and then the difference with, with young male conductors coming straight out of college and being picked up. Mm. Um, and the, the difference in the skill level and the experience level um, is, is really stark. Um, not to say that these young men are not going to come on you know, and, and move on to fantastic things. Some of them go to start and some of them and do some of them don't. and vanish. Yeah, and I think yeah. um, I think that divide there, you know, that gender divide there is really interesting. Um, Royal Northern's latest crop of conductors, the fifty percent female, the, 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 are half, they? Yeah, yeah, half of them are women this time. That's very interesting. Yeah, well, it's, it, yeah. I think the corner's turned. I yep. hope it's just now going to be a progression of ever more. Yeah. And I think it, it quite across the across the board. I mean, my being in my bonnet is ever privately educated in Oxbridge. Yeah, uh, whenever I conduct an orchestra. Half the time, I'm the only one that's not privately educated. It's yeah. literally the only one, and I'm stood there conducting. Yeah. Um, so all equalities, all gender, class, yeah, colour, absolutely. race, creed. There are lots of them that we, we don't sort of think about, but that do um, hinder kind of the work that's being created and, and how it's created and the perspectives. Absolutely. On it. As you said, it's not just kind of gender, but where people... Because yeah. the reason we want this diversity, surely, is the art we then create. If, yeah. art, if art is a reflection of our experiences then we want people with as diverse yeah. experiences. Yeah. You ha- and you have to be engaging really with important. your audiences. You're ultimately yeah. only going to keep the art form alive and afloat if you're engaging with a diverse, a diverse, a diverse audience. And they're not going to come and see the same people, you know, the, the no. same subsect well, the same, the of same people. people come. The yeah, same, the same people that, will that, come. That's it. No, um, but, you know, we, it's, it's really clear how the world thinks about diversity and equality at the moment. You know, the, the, the women's marches, it's, there's this global movement and the potential audience is loud and shouting about how important these issues are to them. Um, and I think it's really important then that the opera world and the arts world and all industries, it's not, this is not exclusive to opera. It's a worldwide thing. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the arts and the entertainment need to, need to, to listen and need to catch up. And, and I think they are. Um, I would just love it to happen really fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Good. Mm. Well, we'll uh, we'll come on to talking about this a bit yeah. more. Yeah, we'll keep, uh, keep an eye out later. Yes, <laughs> yeah. um, I think there's a couple of things from for me to say. One is do go back a few episodes and listen to our interview with Sean Edwards. Yeah. Um, really interesting there, and again, her talking about the some of the female conductors that she teaches and what she sees as some of the differences between the young female and male conductors yeah. is quite interesting. Um, and I think as well to say that yes, the Royal Opera House have um, not not done so well in in this season, but. Um, in terms of Ollie Mears, the artistic director, we always forget how far in advance these seasons are planned. So I think it's fair to say that probably a lot of the decisions being made this season have not necessarily been his. Um, so from his kind of perspective, let's yeah. let's see what comes in. Yeah, in watch this seasons. space. And let's be clear, the skill of getting really good at conducting and getting a job at Convent Covent Garden are quite diverse skills. <laughs> that is not one of, that's not one of the same thing. That is, yeah. 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 There are kind of two different yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. There is actually some excellent conductors, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
moving on to another major new season announcement, Glyndebourne's uh, 2020 season has been announced. Three new productions, uh, a new Carmelites, uh, Barry Kosky again, and um, mm-hmm. the same directors popping up at the same houses is another conversation we could we yeah. could have. Yeah. Um, Danny Denise uh, starring in that uh, new production. She's not working at Glyndebourne, is she? Somehow she keeps getting well, so work. if you marry the person who's in charge, you get a load of gigs. So that works. Um yes, so she'll be she'll be taking up the Carmelites. New productions of Alcina Fidelio, um, directed by uh, Freddie Wake uh, Walker. Um three revivals. I I don't want to speak for everyone, but I will speak for everyone by saying surely yeah. the most exciting there is the um Cox Hockney revival. The Rakes Progress. The Rakes Rakes Progress. So excited. Yeah, you can go cool. to Saltair yeah. Salt Mill and see yeah. Hockney's yeah. designs there. Yeah. Um, and then go and see Rose them on stage. and Louise Alder in that yeah. production. I love the Rakes Progress, so I'm yeah. so Great. excited that that's on the program. Yeah, that's my top pick, I think. Absolutely. And yeah. then uh, other revivals. Uh Sarai, directed by David McVicker, we've already mentioned him today, yep. uh, and Alice Edamore, um, Annabelle Arden's production as well. Um, so I think without taking around the table, we seem to be agreed that Rake's progress is what we're I think so, yeah. Definitely definitely excited yeah, yeah. Yeah. in there. Um, the Glyndebourne Opera Cup will cool. return yeah. as well. Um, so we'll look forward to that in, in March. I assume, again, it's going to be on Sky Arts. Well, I hope so. Don't know, I can't afford Sky. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. You can come round to my house. Can I come round yours? Cheers, yeah, yeah. We'll watch the Opera Cup together. Yeah, 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 good, yeah. Um, also, new season announcement from Grange Park. Uh, four productions in their season, including La Boheme, La Gioconda, and Meet Me in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, as well, what I think has really got people talking is this new opera um, by uh, Anthony Bolton and um, Hesketh Harvey with the libretto Litvinenko the uh, true story of the Russian uh, former spy who was poisoned um, a number of years ago here in the UK, getting mm. its world premiere at Grange Park. Um, so great to see a company like that taking on a major new yeah. commission. Yeah, really you, exciting. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought that where the truth went out originally, would you? <laughs> they're very clear there's the truth about the poisoning. So MFI, don't know what they're on about, but Grange Park have got it sorted. Everything will be well, revealed in the heart secret of service, yeah, they can find out about it. <laughs> Um, but obviously, opera has always been very political. Whether talking about kind of current events or kind of absolutely masking yeah. all yeah. the stories with the politics of the day. So um, quite interesting that they're taking on head first. Yeah, um, I think it's a, I think it's a brilliant topic. Yeah. It's you know it's great. spies and murder and intrigue. What what more can you Tradi- want? Traditional Russian, yeah, you know, music yeah. and yeah, an opera. What was was the art of politics? Yeah. Mm. Figaro's banned, didn't it? The Beaumarchais is planned when De Ponte turns into the libretto for Mozart. That's yeah. that's what happened. And that wasn't unusual. Verdi getting in trouble with the censors for his Italian independence strain through his operas. Yeah. It should be. It should say something. Or it's just a tired entertainment for, for businessmen and their wives, as Wagner called it. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's what he, that would want to become, and that's what Wagner fought against. And we should make sure it never becomes that. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I was going to say, the, the only potential pitfall but this might actually not be a pitfall as it becomes a bit sort of pulpy it's a bit sort of sensationalist and whatnot but actually i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing not the end of the world <laughs> yeah, 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 i don't yeah. think it's a bad yeah. thing and it's a story and it's you know exciting yeah. and you know yeah all the things up should be yeah it should yeah. be yeah i agree yeah um i know it's not strictly an opera but i'm quite excited maybe instant louis as well i just Tron- don't know it i don't, I don't, don't know, it. know it oh dear me good yeah have yourself a happy, merry little Christmas. Yeah. Oh, I know that. The trolley yeah. song. Yeah, I know a few yeah. of the songs. I don't know the piece. I, I'm ashamed to say that when I see these new seasons, I do generally tend to pick out the musicals what I'm most excited <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's so, the uh, same thing yeah. so often, you know. It's yeah. music and stories. Music and stories. Yeah. 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 Uh, so we very much look forward to, to seeing that. Um, a very brief roundup of last month's International Opera Awards, which were announced at a star-studded ceremony at Sadler's Wells. Um, just to pick out some of the uh, winners from the UK, uh, Katie Mitchell was named mm-hmm. Director of the Year. Um, from the House of the Dead, from the Royal Opera House, was Best New Production. Uh, the Opera House's Orchestra was named Best Orchestra. And Semiramide from Opera Rara was the Best uh, Recording. Um, there were some various videos and whatnot that you can catch up online from what looked like a lovely evening. It was a very lovely evening. I was there. It oh, was... Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, it was a nice evening. It's always nice those events. I, you know, I think they can be, uh, they can be slightly self-congratulatory, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. You know, there's it's a way of celebrating the success and uh, each other's success and the, and the mood around that. The event was lovely. Um, there's no 
you know, throwing of glasses at losses. You know, it was it was lovely. It was lots of lots of congratulations and you know lots of prosecco. <laughs> good. good. Yeah. So, and as I say, I think that those events are yes, they can be a bit self congratulated, but a you know sometimes that's fine. That's, yeah. And B, I think anything like this which helps to just sort of shine a spotlight on on opera as an art form yeah. is always uh, a good thing. Yeah, and I heard about companies I didn't know what they were doing. Um, you know, we gave a bit of a, 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 we heard a bit of background about each um, opera company, for example, in, in each uh, category. Uh, and it was nice to know what's happening outside the UK um, and uh, particularly some interesting stuff happening in South Africa. Um, so informative, I think, as well as exciting. Uh, however much it's a bit of a pat on the back yeah, and I yeah. can uh, see your face oh, it's, 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 just, it's just great against my prejudice but I think the problem's me <laughs> anything that's got a bow tie on it and people going oh well done I want there, I've never been, I'll never get invited and that's, and that's why it's just great against the sort of it's probably this is my prejudice. I know I'm the problem. It feels a load of public school boys shaking each other's hands, and yeah, I'm sure it isn't. But that's how I see it, and I'm sure I'm wrong. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, um, yeah I don't mind a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate it. Yeah. That's 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 fine. We all have yeah. our own opinions. Don't we yeah. just? Don't we just? Um, so well done to the winners. Yeah, congratulations. Well, yeah, done. Congratulations. well done. Nonetheless. Yeah. Um, before we move on, a reminder to rate OperaCast, review OperaCast, and subscribe to OperaCast on your favourite podcast platform. Thank you to all of those of you who have done so so far. And remember, you can always get in touch with us at info at operacast.co.uk or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, we're joined this week, as I said, by Sophie, who, as well as being a director, is also the CEO of Swapra. Um, we're going to talk about Swapra in a moment, but first of all, I just want to um, talk very briefly um, about the soprano Julie Fox and the uh, recent announcement um, from uh, Hamburg State Opera. Yeah. Um, can you sort of just fill us in on what the story there and kind of what's what's been happening? Yeah, so uh, very briefly, um, uh, Julie was let go from a contract um, due to her pregnancy. Um, she's stayed relatively quiet about this because she's been, uh, she announced it at the time, um, she stayed relatively quiet and away from the media whilst she's been uh, uh, going through a, a legal battle to uh, get paid her full fee, which she has been successful. Um, so that's where we are at the moment. She's, um, and I think, uh, she, you know, she's recently had a full settlement um, for, for, for being uh uh, let go of that contract against her will. Um, I think it opens up a huge can of worms. These these um, these conversations around uh, pregnancy and performance and uh, the rights of freelancers. Um, it's an incredibly difficult conversation. Um, having said that, uh, this situation obviously has fallen in in Julie's favour. Absolutely should have. Um, I think nobody wants. Uh, nobody wants women being uh, dropped from shows because they're pregnant. It seems ridiculous um, mm. I mean, that I think this is even a conversation. Made, not to stand up for it, but is that um, there were things that they wanted to do artistically with the role, including certain fight scenes, which they, yeah. they didn't feel would be um, safe for a pregnant yeah. woman. Was the reasoning was, given? Absolutely. Um, and without, you know, it's really hard to comment on the, on the details of an individual case without knowing those details firsthand, because all the information we have is secondhand. Because Having, wildly speculate like everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I mean, that is what has come out um, that they've kind of said themselves is the reason... Yeah. For it. So I think we're sort of quite clear on what. On the other hand, um, there, you know, there have been plenty of examples of you know slight restaging or, or slight tweaks in a revival. It's so rare that a, a, a revival is you know step by step mm. recreated. Um, you know, down to, you know, we all know the story of Joyce Didonato going on stage in a wheelchair um, mm. and and that being restaged before. So, you know, th there's an element of well, how bad was this? Um, how, like, how complicated was it? You know, how how far did the conversations go with Julie around uh, this is what you'll be expected to do? Um, the suggestion is very much that it wasn't her decision, and I think the 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 biggest issue here is is the um, opera house taking taking that decision out of the mother's hands or the you know, potential mother's hands, um, and that's the issue more than 
the the ability or whether or not she could do the role. Um, you know, and we, there are plenty of examples of women performing at sort of eight months pregnant. Um, and I believe she would have been in her first early second trimester um, during the performances. So it's incredibly difficult to make, um, you know, to make comment on the on the specific details. On the other hand, it does just feel awful that a role is taken away or, you know, the, the, the chance of performing a role at a major opera house is taken away um, against the, the singer's will. Um, and I think whilst the settlement is fantastic, it is not just about the money. You know, we, as freelancers, we... We're, you know, we're only as good as, as our last performance. Uh, and when that last performance is then taken away from you against your uh, against your own choice, that, that opens up a whole issue around... Well, does she no longer perform or is she not allowed to? She didn't want to get known as a woman that sues opera companies, did she? No, of course not. Of that's, course not. That's bad. Because yeah. everyone knows that. Every other opera company in the world yeah. knows that now. Although she's made a massive... Yeah. Um, she's been badly done to there, unquestionably. But, you know, hopefully she's changing the, the nature of these conversations for, for women now. I mean, you know, I think she's she's made a massive statement and I, I'm so amazed um, at her her bravery and her commitment to this. I think it's an incredibly important thing that she's done. And it's very important to get these things out in the open as well because who knows how many sort of similar things have happened. Yeah, have, have, have and happened. they are happening. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, and is it fair to say, Sophie, that this is the sort of reason that Swapra came about? It's absolutely one of the reasons. Um, so Swapra has... Swapra stands for Supporting Women and Parents in Opera. And our aims are loosely twofold um so the overarching idea is about uh redressing what we see as a unconscious bias um and it's really important that we that we talk we use this phrase unconscious bias um rather than outright sexism i think um uh so this is about women in senior leadership positions and women in in opera and what's our uh what's our role what's our place how are we um uh, how are we being treated, um, and where do we end up on that career ladder? Career ladder. Um, a big part of those ch those career challenges, often for women, um, is the role of being a parent. Um, not for every woman, and importantly, also for men. Yeah. So fatherhood is really important. Yeah, vested interest. Um, I'm, a, I'm a single dad with fifty fifty care of my kid. So this is so, yeah. So vested interest here. This is this is work that needs doing. Yeah, it's yeah. really important for it us is. that we're using yeah. the word parent um, and that we're not just using the word mother unless we're talking about breastfeeding and childbirth. Yeah, we're pretty clear there. Yeah, um, <laughs> carry on for now. Um, yeah. But the i the idea of of, of Swapra is the. Our aim is to to talk about these issues, to um, to highlight the issues that people like Julie Fuchs are having on the um, on the parenthood side, um, but also to try and make the working practices uh, more conducive to a diverse uh, talent pool. You know, w women are are or parents and you know women and parents are being lost from. Uh, the the industry because it it gets too hard or and not because you know not because it's just a bit tough to to manage school pickups um but because the lifestyle is incredibly difficult in itself for every freelancer but when you add in um all the other things that are that are based around f parenthood family um gender roles, um, the unconscious bias that we have that we talked about with conductors, mm. you get to a point and you, you don't see, as women, there's, there's fewer role models um, being celebrated online. You Google conductor and you get pages and pages and pages of sure white middle-aged yes, men. Yeah. Um, comes up. Yeah, and then Marin. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. You know, one. Yeah. Um, or you... Or you see the people, you know, you see a lot of women working in um, education departments, which is a which is a double-edged sword because the the it's incredibly important that you've got uh, visibility uh, for the uh, students or kids or anybody who's thinking about going into a career as opera. So you see uh, a, a young girl thinking maybe I could be a conductor, and the education project that I'm doing is being led by a female conductor. Fantastic, but then you look beyond that and you kind of go well. Well, actually, am I ever going to get a main stage show? Um, am I, as a director, am I ever going to get a main stage show, or am I going to be put in the studios um, and 
and only be able to do that? Am I ever going to lead a major opera house if I want to be an artistic director or a music director? Because I, the, there is no, there are so few examples of that. And yeah, we can we can count them and we can we can count the exceptions. Yeah, but, they're the exceptions um, but they become the exceptions to the rule. Yeah, we can list off four or five. Um, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. You know the the point of Swapper is to is to investigate this and to figure out what's happening and why. Big part of that is parenthood. Um, a big part of that is not parenthood. It's just you know gender bias. Um, and so we've done a lot of research over um, the the last sort of year or so, collecting just collecting the stats, um, looking at in particular conductors. Um, directors, composers and librettists um, uh, and seeing what sort of work is being put on stage and where it's being done and what that gender divide is um, uh, and what we do as an organisation is spend some time working uh, having conversations directly with the senior management at the major opera houses to see what specific things we can put into place to help with childcare, for example the Swapra advanced schedule which has mm. been trialled was trialled last summer by Opera Holland Park and so that's just about getting your scheduling information Earlier than you would normally get it, um, so yeah. you can so you put you into your, when you're rehearsing, you know when you're rehearsing, how you can organise your childcare, yeah. all that sort of thing. Um, and we're talking three or four um, opera companies have put that into place this summer. Um, so there are some really practical things there, but then there's also a conversation around culture change and um, the long term things around hiring more women. You know that's what it boils down to. Um, and then the, the other thing that we're doing is working at a, a directly with with artists so talking to artists about what opportunities we can uh, we can provide them what support network we can provide um visibility is a really important thing as i just said so uh posting interviews on online with uh with high achieving women and parents um and also with people who are not necessarily famous but are are making their careers really successfully um uh and so it's it's just about uh, keeping the conversation going and and seeing that change happen over the coming years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so so without going into sort of specific cases, I mm-hmm. assume you've probably come across a lot of people that have had particular, um, you know, kind of issues or barriers. I mean, yeah. What, what are sort of those some kind of common themes that have emerged in terms of? Well, I mean, the the Jilly Fuchs case is is pretty common. Mm. Um, we're you know, we we were collecting uh, stories over the last year or so uh, for uh, information rather than to share, <laughs> <laughs> um, because there's a there's a huge fear if you if as an artist if you have a bad experience and you call a company out on it, we're so reliant on on getting a, a job again. Mm. It's really it's really frightening to call a company out, uh, as we talked about with Julie. Yeah. Um, but uh, there are similar things happening. There are uh, from the pregnancy side in particular, women being dropped from shows, um, women being told in auditions that um, they are not necessarily going to be reliable after having had a baby or that their voice is probably going to change. All of this stuff in any other industry would be <laughs> illegal. Um, so, But it's really hard to to balance that as a freelancer. Yeah, um, and that is a difficulty with the performing arts, isn't it? Because as it's such a subjective... Yeah. Form, you know, you, At the best of times, well, it's you, subjective. You, well, yeah. you can yeah. say, I'm, I'm choosing this person over this person for any subjective reason you so wish. Yeah. yeah Same, you know, directors yeah. and conductors. You I, prefer, know. I prefer that hair colour. Yeah, you know, exactly. Fine. And it's yeah. a, it is a visual art form. Yeah, it so. is. It's very difficult. You can't sort of say, in terms of equal opportunities, you know, here's, here's a, a, a man's CV and a woman's CV, and actually they've got exactly the same qualifications and experience because the performing arts is it's not very like different that. in terms yeah. of how you judge that sort of talent so in terms of trying to as you say kind of make that Mm. um equality case for you know how can we see how people are getting hired and people are getting looked over for things it's much more difficult i suppose to make um a quantitative argument because it is subjective as to whether you like someone's work or not and i think what's important as well is that we um as you know human beings we are drawn to what is familiar Mm. um and so when we are looking for somebody to bring on in a team or to replace an outgoing uh, artistic director, music director, CEO, general director, whatever, um, anybody in a senior position, uh, and your board is made up of one type of human being, mm-hmm. um, there's a there is a human instinct to sort of be drawn to somebody who looks like you, who speaks like you, who is educated like you, who listens to the same music as you, um, has, you know, has the same religious beliefs, whatever. And, And I think 
there's there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with having unconscious bias. It's what we do with that that's really important. Um, so we need to kind of go, okay, I've clocked that. And if I am, you know, if I am a white privately educated man, um, I'm going to look out for are all the hires I'm making also in that it, you know, it, ticking all the same boxes? Um, and if so, are they definitely the right people or the only people for the job? Or can I just do a little bit more and look look further afield and be more imaginative and be more creative? Because there are there are an incredibly diverse range of, of people out there who have the same skills and the right skill set um, and the right experience who, who don't fit what is historically um, a very sort of narrow... Uh, narrow industry um, and I think it is important that we are still in a, in a hangover from you know olden times when it was everything was run by men and you know it, th that's not a criticism of the men who are there um, and we would never be suggesting that we're kind of taking jobs away from this um, you know from the white, the white middle-aged man um, it's important that we we just bring the levels of, of you know women and uh uh, BAME artists and uh, state-educated um, artists up, so so that we are that we're telling the range of stories for a range of audiences, yeah. and uh, that, so, that's so what we're doing. So is that sort of kind of positive discrimination something that Swapra um, is 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 keen on? Or? I think it's really difficult. Um, you know, I really grapple with with the idea of of uh, positive discrimination mm. because. No, no woman wants a job because she's a woman. It's patronising. Um, it? It's patronising. As soon as you're doing quarters. Yeah. I'm going to have. On that the other there. hand, yeah. You know, to make long-term change, what else can we do? Because it's not happening. Um, so it's not, not happening. Quickly, no, um, so I think there's a there's a there's still conversation to be had about what other ways you know what other ways are there that we can that we can make this change without nobody wants a box ticking exercise um and i think there's also this interesting idea of if you know if a woman um has got a job because she's a woman and then for some reason she's not very good then the rest of her gender are judged by her standard mm -hmm. you know and you know if you've got an average you know on that Theresa may yeah no one wants that yeah, yeah. let's not judge um, you all that. But you know, it's it's the the number of comments we hear about. Oh, I don't like working with female conductors, or I don't like working with female directors. Do people say that, and it's I, I don't know what that means. No, I, no. I, 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 I don't like know what it means. I didn't like yeah, it. yeah. Um, I don't. You know, I've had bad experiences with a, you know with a director or a or a conductor. It doesn't mean I don't like working with male conductors. That's it's it doesn't doesn't no. mean anything. Um, so I think I think we need to get away from that. Um, uh, that idea of female conductor and Marin Allsop talked about you know how when she conducted last night the promise for the first time she was very eloquent about how she's constantly surprised that there are still firsts for women and and it's mm. it's true yeah. it just seems so bizarre that we can still be having this conversation yeah. um, but you're quite right there's there is therefore so much pressure yeah. on these sorts of things when when Marin becomes the first female conductor she has to nail it yeah yeah i mean it's there's, I, there's a yeah. lot you have to kind of put on those role models yeah um Risk is a big thing. That's why we see the same names coming up directing all at all different offer yeah. companies because yeah. safe pair of hands. Well, safe pair of hands. Yeah. And as we said before, the level of investment, especially in this yeah. big main scale operas, is so huge. You're going to take a punt on somebody who might be rubbish. Are you yeah. going to give it to Vicar or someone who's, who's going to do a great job? Yeah, but you still get rubbish productions. Oh, you know, even oh. with oh yes, you know, we, oh, you yes. could go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. You know, even even with the greats, you know, not everybody is completely. Um, perfect all the time, and and it would be really boring if they were. So there's always an element of risk, whether you're working with a, a great or you know an established and trustworthy um, director, conductor, whoever, whoever, whoever yeah. um, composer. Um, you know, plenty of the great composers have written some dud operas. Most you know, of, most of them. <laughs> um, the, thing so, the thing about people from ages ago is only good survives. There were plenty of rubbish. Yeah. Plenty of rubbish written when all this stuff um, was. Exactly. Was done. Um, you know, and I think it's important that we're that that we're not just assuming that that because we know somebody's name that they're the only safe pair of hands and that, that there are people who are working, you know, constantly or, or yeah. creating art mm. that are um that are happen to be women. And, and what yeah. role do you think that opera as a form has in has in this because you know obviously it's a it's a art form where ninety nine percent of the works you know have been written by men. Mm. The operas themselves, a the majority male casts, often about sort of fallen or 
hysterical women. Yeah. I mean, Plenty of them. It, yeah. You know, yeah. Most of them. So yeah. Yeah, it is. It do, is. do you think opera as, as a form has something that has kind of fed into this? Yeah. I mean, I would. I think. Um, I think the difference between opera and say theatre and, and the kind of the canon of plays that are out there is that we we revive works that we love. It would. It, it's a little bit like only doing. Shakespeare and Marlowe and you know their contemporaries and just only doing that work f- across the whole industry and 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 theatre has a bigger emphasis on new work than the the new writers in theatre and the the transition of uh, of writing like what's the difference between the writing in the 1920s the 30s the 40s and we see this progression of writers and we celebrate new writing as relevant and powerful and interesting in a way that opera doesn't so much it's much more expensive it's, it's logistical That's it's it is, much it? more expensive yeah. to put to, to commission a new opera and it's much more complicated and I I understand that hundred percent. It's reality, isn't it? Um, it's, it's the difference yeah. between... The, it, it's one of the main differences between the, the kind of work that is being put out there. Um, but it means that theatre has the ability to be sort of ahead of opera because it doesn't matter, you know, the, the gender of whoever picked up the pen. No. Um, uh, and in opera, we're still working with, with the core repertoire, which is when women weren't really in the theatres. And, and that's not to say, I think what's really important as well, that there are operas by women out there. There are dusty libraries full, yeah. of, full of operas that we just never really performed, um, you know, or that never, that never got the, the major success. But then you look at, you know, Carmen. Carmen was not successful. Um, most of, uh, most of them were successful in, in, at the time. Don Giovanni. Yeah. Um, two versions of, you know. Yeah, yeah didn't, <laughs> um, didn't like it. So I think it's really important that we remember that. And I would love to see um, this. I mean, I don't know if this diverges from Swap or not, but I, I would love to see more revivals of... Um, Forgotten works by female composers. And I know this is something I'm particularly interested in with, with the lesser-known works. Mm. And it's quite far from my rep my rep all the work that I do is you know it's Puccini and Verdi and and it's the it's the core repertoire and I think it's important that we start to look harder at the work that has been forgotten in a dusty library somewhere yeah and, and you know, we, we won't come into it again but last month we, we discussed this arts council's new focus on relevance yeah and actually what what does yeah. that mean and again it doesn't just mean doing lots of new things but it means actually how do we kind of reinvigorate the old yeah. works and who wrote those old works yeah kind of be relevant for today but can you argue the case that a lost opera from the mid-1800s that nobody's ever heard nobody knows is relevant to a modern audience to make that case would be very difficult well, well oh, I, I, mean, oh I, I don't think you so know, to, yeah. to, to give to give an example a couple of years ago you know we did thomas arne's alfred yeah very old never done mm-hmm. um but it's a big sort of uh, uh, nationalistic top thumping piece. It's got Real Britannia at the end that yeah, you can hang very, it on, can't you? Yeah, but a very, a very yeah. interesting to, piece to look at what it means in today's yeah. sort of growing national sort of climate, not just here yeah. but in Europe. So there's, yeah. I think that's that's why I'm interested yeah. in some of those hidden works. Is actually what can we find that isn't hasn't been very attractive yeah. to people, but has actually has something to say today. And, and I think that's and culturally, culturally we said culturally we remind audiences and ourselves I think even more importantly that women weren't invented in the 21st century you know where there's where there are um, new works being written there's a huge focus on on making sure that that female composers are um, are getting funding and getting space and I, I I'm so so important I can't tell you how important that is but not in isolation, because then we we look back at this history of like men used to write opera and women are writing opera now, um, and it's not you know it's not true. Um, there are there obviously there's not the same there's quantity, no near as much, but no. it still exists. But I think um, that that really is a quality of opportunity. I was going to say no, that's exactly that's what you're absolutely saying, absolutely yeah. Yeah. you've got to allow. 100 yeah. women to write 100 crap operas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what happens when you have well, 100, that's a stat. 100, 100 men. That's, that's absolutely a stat. Yeah. 1 to 100. Yeah. Good ratio, to be honest. And I yeah. think that's important. The equality of opportunity more than, you know, positive discrimination. It's, you know, they're... That's, I, that's my argument. They're different sides Quality of the of same same coin, really. Um, and it's, you know, absolutely... And and I think Sean talked about this. Sean Edwards talked about this on, on when you met her about um, the... Uh, the conductors coming into the the conservatoires, the female conductors, not necessarily having the same experience as the young male conductors or the same skill set, um, mm. and actually, she can't be she can't be taking the people who aren't ready because they're women. Um, but 
but actually providing that opportunity for them to get to that space, which is what Alice Farnham is doing, you know, with the, the, the women conductors, yeah. um, and uh, and letting letting or allowing space for for women to try and and to. F- Fail in the way they, in the same way we that men have been tried and, and we failed. All failed. We all did exactly. That. Yeah. You've, you've got you've got to fail to be able to kind of go. Oh, I know, I know how to do it now. Yeah. Um, there's uh, no teacher-like experience. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no like just getting yeah. up there and doing it's, it. So it's, it's, it's enabling people to fail. And as we said with you know Marion also the last night at the problems it's being if you're the one female conductor in the class and you fail, suddenly that's a huge burden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so I mean, it's it's fair to say that you've kind of had a made a great kind of uh, strides and an impact kind of so far what would mm. you like to see you know five years time what would you kind of hope to be seeing that Swapper's doing and also that the sector is really sort of yeah well I would like to see this um, you know the, the statistics get a bit better you know in terms of and again it, it feels a little bit box sticky but actually it, it's representative of, of you know who's getting the work I'd like to see closer to 50% of, you know, male and, and female conductors, composers, librettists, you know, and I'm not asking, you know, I'm not asking people to to do 50% because they have to, um, but to try harder to find, you know, to, to find the women who are working. Um, and with, you know, I would also like on the on the parenthood side of thing, I would like it to to feel less of a taboo. There are plenty of parents, men and women, who are not volunteering the information about whether or not they have children. Um, and keeping that as something that is private and separate from their careers, which absolutely I understand, but it needs to be an individual's choice because they choose to do that rather than a feeling of I mustn't tell my employer that I have a child in case they think I'm less reliable. So it's Um, interesting, it's the bloke with a single parent with a kid. I quite often turn up to rehearsals with him, stick him in the back of the room on a Nintendo Switch, and people go, oh, you're being a great dad. And there's never nobody's ever given me any oh. nobody's ever given me any grief. Yeah, yeah. I think it's recognising yeah. as well that opera isn't a nine to five Monday to Friday. Yeah. So yeah. you said about yeah. the scheduling, you know, it's yeah. it's being able to kind of fit that around having you, your evenings yeah. and your weekends. Yeah. And as long as you people. know, we're not. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's there's no suggestion that we're asking special treatment to be given to parents. There's no, no. we're not changing the the, the schedules. And it's just knowing when they are. Because I got offered three months conducting Figaro in Dresden a bit. A couple of weeks back, turned it down. God missed me some for three months. Yeah. So you're not going to have it all. Yeah, Sometimes exactly. you go, fair dues, can't do that. Absolutely. I'll do it in 10 years' time when he's um, not like me. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. He'll be a teenager then, won't want to talk to me. So I'll go, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll go, I'll go yeah. do it then. Come back to me in 10 years. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. We, uh, well, we obviously here on OperaCast fully support everything that you're, you're doing. Oh, we, thank you. Has anybody ever said, I don't support that? Has anybody ever no, said... No, I don't think they would dare. No, 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 no one's going to say, no, I'm all for prejudice. Yeah, I think particularly because yeah. it's it's all about positive reinforcement yeah, for us. It's, it's There's not, absolutely yeah. no finger pointing. Um, I'm sure there are some people that don't... They're quietly that. thinking. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. They're not going to tell us, though. Yeah, if we find them. Yeah, we'll, we'll, t- we'll tell them. We'll, yeah. we'll broadcast them. Um, wonderful. So... Moving on to the final of the By Voice Alone mm. competition, which was earlier this week. Uh, this new singing competition received quite a lot of publicity because the uh, uh, opening audition round was blind, um, so you couldn't see who was who was singing, so trying to remove some of the prejudices uh, perhaps uh, inherent in that kind of process there. Um, the competition was won by Jennifer Witten, um, who is currently uh, the cover Sandro at Glyndebourne this uh, season, so she's uh, already got a decent career kind of starting for herself. Congratulations to Jennifer. Um, I think what was most interesting for me about this whole process, though, was not necessarily the blind audition round or the winners or whatnot, but it was the stats that they released on yeah. who applied for the competition. Yeah. Um, out of all the applicants, 61% were sopranos, 18% mezzo, so 80% were female entrants. Um, in the semi-finals, you had. 16 sopranos, two mezzos, a tenor and four baritones, with five sopranos, a mezzo, and a baritone going through to the final. Um, that's a heck of a lot yeah. of female singers. And as we said mm. before, the majority of operas uh, contain preponderantly uh, uh, male <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. casts. Um, I mean, there's two ways that I sort of see of looking at it. One is that opera has got very, very few men coming through, and this is potentially a huge problem. Um, or actually, is it kind of the same thing but there are not many men coming through and lots of men are needed in the profession so they don't feel the need to have to go into competitions, competitions. because it's much easier for them to find work which is why we have so many there's more work surprises yeah. entering and um, either way it does seem to point towards a potential problem in the industry that we 
It's tough because you can't do much about it, can you? Is it too simplistic to say women like singing more than men? Most female voices are sopranos. Ergo, you get more sops and hotels. I think the um, I think the distribution is really interesting in this, um, and it doesn't surprise me at all. Bearing in mind how many auditions yeah. I've run, and you get sixty to eighty well, percent yes. women, um, always, and it is brutal turning down. You know, not even hearing people to audition who you would happily cast. I mean, it blows my mind. Yeah. Um, and then you're then you're sort of scraping the the barrel quite often for some of the men. And for it, low bases. For bases. Genuine low down their bases. Yeah, or the or the high tenors. Or the proper. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's mad because I, I guess. I, I mean, I think you're right about it. it's the 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 variance in how many people are coming through. Even if it was fifty fifty men and women coming through, and I don't I don't know who's coming through know. the conservatoires, um, but even if that's the case, you're then going into operas that are predominantly male roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Certainly the principals, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and so you've got a huge number of of women fighting for a tiny number of roles uh and a f- and fewer men yeah. just being like oh I'll just rock up and I'll you know I can sing and you know it's it's not about being lazy but it's it's the the competition per role is much much slimmer that's just how it is that's just yeah. the reality um yeah. and I think that the bivocal lane is really interesting because that ratio seems to have stayed consistent all the way through so when they're not applying for a role we've ended up with a final with three sopranos uh, well sorry the three winners of three mm. sopranos um, and that seems to reflect the stats from you know from the applicants to the winner. They, that's that's beautiful. It's a really nice uh, demonstration of the best people won, and the chances are, the chances are higher that they're going to be three sopranos because there are more of them entering. But the law of averages. But yeah. but that's all very well when it's a competition and you're not you're not looking for a specific voice type. But when you put the same numbers and the same same stats into uh, into an opera. Um, and you've got the industry. yeah, and yeah. I and I wonder, you know, I wonder what it's like. There's there's a handful of countertenors who are working at the major opera houses, and they're fantastic. Um, and I think it's really important not to take away from the talent that is there. Um, but it's the same people. And we've talked about this yeah. with, the, with the directors. It's the same people because we're kind of going well. These people are here. They can sing the countertenor yeah. roles, or they can sing these beautiful lyric tenor roles, or you know, these are the people that we know, or the you know, the low baritone. The process bass is, I heard him do that. It were good. I want to be in my opera. And yeah, you, and the comp- and there so, isn't. And there's nobody screaming to be yeah. used. There's probably people as good, but yeah. they're not better. Uh, and so. and with sopranos, you can you know you can you can look at you can literally cast any of them yeah, when you half the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. because there there are so many for such a few numbers of roles. And I think it's a real problem. Yeah, I mean we're going to have a, a, a an episode in the near future which is going to have a special focus on on opera con- conservatoires and training. So this mm-hmm. is something we'll definitely focus on then. I mean, just to sort of wrap up very quickly, Sophie and Ben, when you're Sometimes when you're watching operas, do you feel that the male members of the cast are weaker than the female members of the cast? Do you often feel when you're watching something... The lower down the food chain you go, a bit yes. Of scraping the Not at Covent Garden, but the lower down the food chain you go, yes. Yeah, I think yeah. At, the, at the major opera houses, no. Yeah. I think there's, it's, it's beautiful. It, great. Yeah. yeah, but I think at... Um, I mean, fringe fringe operas. Yeah. yeah, you're get you're getting you're getting sopranos who are working for no pay, low pay. Who could quite happily be be getting work at the the, the serious yeah. houses next to semi-pro boys who can semi pro <laughs> yeah, amateurs yeah. who are kind of singing and you're like well, you're sort of going well I need I need a tenor so and you sort of get a feel you know, they, and that's not yeah. always true like not, there no, are there are some fantastic universal. men working at the lower levels and working their way up so I, you know. Fem- it's not to cast aspersions on the people who are fantastic, yeah. but there the is a difference. The problem is we're going to create an industry where it's essentially a hobby for the already wealthy. So these people are singing for nothing or, or the bus fare. Yeah. And the only way they can do that is because they come from money and a wealthy background. Yeah, I think that's, uh, a, I think that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bugbear of mine. Yeah, we have to have it at some point. Yeah, is a actually... hobby for the already wealthy. Yeah. That's what it's becoming if we're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good, that is a conversation yeah. for another day. Can but... I come in on that one, please? But invite yes. me back. Invite me back. I've got um, a few opinions. In summary, congratulations to Jen. Yeah, well done. Yeah. I'm sure you great yeah. Well done. Um, and coming up very soon is the 2019 Cardiff Singer of the World competition. Uh, now, if you're not able to catch every heat, then do not fear, as we will have the whole competition covered on OperaCast with bite-sized daily episodes. Don't worry, these are not going to be our mammoth monthly offerings. Um, <laughs> short episodes covering each day, filling you in on the standout performances and the ones to watch. So if you can't 
catch the competition in June. Uh, do catch up on our daily episodes. We'll have it all covered for you here on OperaCast. Um, and if you're around this Friday, um, I'm not sure when the podcast's going out, so you might have only a few hours' notice, um, but Katie Bray, the English entrant, is performing uh, some of her competition repertoire at Blackheath Halls on the evening of Friday the 24th of May. Uh, so if you catch uh, OperaCast in time and you're able to make it down there, um, do go and see Katie perform and impress all your friends with your intimate knowledge <laughs> of her repertoire. Um, a great opportunity to see Katie before she heads over to Cardiff. Um, also coming up next month, we have our roundup of opera on radio, film and online. Um, on radio, a number of treats. There's uh, the Forza del Destino from the Opera House we've spoken about many times. The last time we'll mention it, the Papano, Kaufman, <laughs> the Trebko performance. All star. All stars on the yeah. 25th of May. Um, Billy Budd from the Opera House, which has gone down phenomenally well with audiences and critics, is on the 1st of uh, June. You can listen to that. Um, there's also Early Rameau Opera from the Utrecht Early Music Festival, Les Borrades. Uh, I'm going to use that as my pronunciation. The 23rd of May, um, I love a bit of Rameau music, um, not so much staged, can be extraordinarily slow going. <laughs> Nothing mm-hmm. happens. Beautiful, beautiful <laughs> Nothing music. Nothing happened in these operas. Um, so catch up with that on Radio 3. Now coming up on film this month, there are two films, not uh, just live stream performances of opera, but actual films about opera. Uh, the first one is Bel Canto, based on the book, uh, starring Julianne Moore as a world famous soprano. Um, that's on a, a fairly uh, restricted release, um, but do see if you can catch that at your local cinema. Um, also coming in June and July is a film uh, about the life of Pavarotti, a documentary by the filmmaker Ron Howard, who you all Ooh. know from uh, Apollo 13 and The Grinch. And Happy Days. And Happy well, Days. Yeah, happy Days, on it? Days. <laughs> a ginger lad in Happy Days, that, isn't what it? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> he has got an extraordinary yeah. range. Yeah, yeah, that's um, good. Um, happy Days to Pavarotti. <laughs> Um, but that's uh, got a lot of uh, early buzz um, coming out in June in the States and I think it might be more like uh, July here in the UK but again look out for that um, online uh, Opera Vision we always go on about Opera Vision but it's fantastic um, there's a Traviata from Icelandic Opera probably the first opportunity all of us will have to have seen anything from Icelandic Opera um, there's a, a really uh, interesting piece from the commercial opera in Berlin um, Roxy Und ihr Winderteam by Paul Abraham. Um, I'm reliably told it's a football operetta. Um, so right up my street. Um, you can see <laughs> yeah, that for yeah. free online on OperaVision. Um, also a shout out to uh, one of our fellow podcasts in the studio from the BBC. Each episode they follow an artist on their creative process. They've had two opera-focused ones recently. Uh, one, uh, Tarek O'Regan, the composer. And um, following him as he uh, creates a new De Ponte opera at Houston Grand Opera. That's a really interesting episode, so I definitely recommend checking that out. Um, there's also an episode with opera's coolest soprano. Would we like to guess who that is? Is it Danny? Danny. It's Danny. Danielle Denise. Oh, no, Danny. no, Danny, please. Danny, it's Danny Denise. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that, Danny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, following her as she prepares for a performance uh, in Man of La Mancha at the Coliseum. Um, We've said this before. She does very well, doesn't she? She's a oh yeah, she's, she's got a career. Yeah. Yeah. man sort of PR yeah. machine. As well I as think being, she's amazing. As well as being mm. very talented, she has really developed a great niche for herself as a broadcaster. Yeah. Um, yeah. As an all-round sort of, uh, I wouldn't call her a celebrity, but as as opera singers yeah. go, and an advocate for female composers, which is ticks my boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you can follow her as she prepares for Man of La Mancha. A couple of little items just to finish off this month then. Um, First of all, some of you may have seen this. Uh, The uh, Olympic hockey star Samantha Quek was in Vienna (laughs) recently for the opera. Um, She had a bit of a coughing fit, unfortunately, and was sent to opera detention. Uh, which is the room, a very swanky, I should say, it's room. It's quite a nice room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where they, they make people sit, apparently, who are disrupting the performance too much Brilliant. and they have to sit funny. and watch it on a television screen. I love the fact uh. they've got somewhere. Like they've got I mean, no wonder, <laughs> no wonder opera ends up having this yeah. elitist... Yeah. As, as we it's always say, whenever, whenever <laughs> opera gets into the, the, uh, the mainstream press, it's because yeah. there's some sort of latest example of elitism. Yeah, yeah, she's she so um, ridiculous. So ruining for the rest of us. the process, right? She was sat there, she had a cough. And somebody comes over. An and attendant you, comes right, over takes her out. and Brilliant. tells her to leave. Brilliant. Um, and she has so to she, watch it for a different TV. <laughs> she has to sit and watch it on the telly, <laughs> despite paying God knows what for the yeah. tickets. Oh, it's um, just so ridiculous. Have, have either of you ever had any particularly unfortunate moments with uh, audiences? 
No, except be, sometimes what I've been made to watch on the stage has been quite upset. <laughs> <laughs> I've been both irritating and annoying, but no, no. I don't think so. I mean, you know, I've occasionally turned around and, and asked somebody to stop kicking my seat. Um, but I've never asked anybody to be removed or expected anybody to be removed. <laughs> but now I know it's an option. I mean, <laughs> now, yeah. now I know there's a system for this. It's, yeah. it just, it's so silly yeah. because it, it just amplifies that idea yeah. of, of the stuffy elite opera. You mustn't <laughs> breathe. You mustn't pretend you're enjoying anything. Yeah. You mustn't exist as a human being. Yeah. You and know, so different to how hell. it was 150 years Well, exactly. Years ago Bring back the all, tomatoes. We were all chatting. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but nowadays yeah. you can't even you can't you can't even cough, 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 cough even if you're uh, really good at hockey yeah. <laughs> it makes no difference we hope cough, Samantha cough. will return yeah. To, yeah. To, to opera yeah I hope so just yeah. maybe not in Vienna yeah um, and finally I don't know if you guys have, have seen this I wasn't familiar with this before but, oh um, I have now you sent me the link yeah. Yeah. Adam Sandler the sort of Marmite comic actor yeah. um, returned recently to Saturday Night Live for the first time in many years um, apparently he has a recurring character called the Opera Man yeah. um, who sings the news to the tune of different yeah. operas um, I thought this was great fun. Again, funny. yeah, I liked it. Again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it reinforces the stereotype that opera is people wearing black tie. Um, yeah, it does. But it's quite amusing. And yeah. if, if for no other reason than playing the game of what is the tune he's not yeah. singing. Well, exactly. Yeah. It's it's more challenging than it should be, I yeah. think. Some, <laughs> of, some of them tunes ain't from any opera. No. <laughs> they really aren't. Um, but it is very funny. Yeah. Um, obviously, the the, uh, the political satire is amusing, but yeah. also just the way in which he presents yeah. it as well. And he's not trying to get people to view opera differently, is it? It's after cheap laughs. Yeah. That's yeah. what he's in it for. So. Um, and from my point of view, it succeeded. Yeah, yeah. well done. Well, yeah. Thank well, well done. The show notes. Yeah. Do check out Adam, I'm happy that. Adam yeah. Sandler's Opera Man. Now, every month we like to bring you our hidden gem opera. Uh, uh, we like to kind of make the case for an opera which is very rarely heard but uh, deserves your attention. And this month, please, could I ask Ben? Is it me? Am I on? Wh what have you chosen for right. us this month? Um, so a few weeks ago, months ago now, I had my Mendelssohn, The, the Marriage of Camacho. This time I'm going to go for a Louis Spohr opera. Um, it's written in 1822. It's called Yasonda. And it's good in itself. It's about this woman who's... Um, as, uh, you'll love this being into sort of like your women's right. Her husband's mm -hmm. dead, so she's got to jump on funeral pyre. That's oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. One of them. Yeah. So, so this idea. However, um, the city's been attacked by the Portuguese, and there's some Portuguese general general that falls in love with her and he saves her. In a nutshell, Great. that's what happens. One, one of them. One of them. But the reason I like it is because where it stands in the development of German romantic music. Um, so Sport just got the job as Kapellmeister at, at Casals, and he's done Freischutz. And Freischutz sort of transforms how everyone views German romantic opera. It's how it, it tries to bring German opera to a level of the French and the Italian schools that are dominating the continent at the time. And in Louis Spohr's work, it takes that sort of tradition, but then adds a chromaticism and also recurring motif, which could be looked at as light motif that points away to Wagner. It bridges this gap between the magic flute, Freischutz, Fidelio. Ashfordella um, is French as much as German, but certainly Magic Flute, Freischutz, the Mendelssohn Young Operas, Louis Spohr, as we move on to Leutzing and ultimately Wagner and that way, it's where it sits in the development of Germanic, Germanic opera, which makes it worth a listen. If I was really clever, which I'm not, I'd write a book on how Wagner contributed nothing new to opera and how <laughs> what he did was the inevitable conclusion of this progression. And I'd use the Spohr opera as an example of leitmotif and chromatic development and and development of motif to point towards Wagner. So go listen. Interesting. It's really good. It's really yeah. good. God, it's quite long. It's quite long. It goes on a bit. Oh. Well, but, yeah, a bit of day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them. case uh, yeah. for the opera there. I'm here to help. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, now, uh, leading us into the final part of today's podcast is a little bit of uh, Yuzanda. And to end, as we do every month, with a little up on a quiz. Oh, I, forgot about, I forgot about this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Panelists against each other. Now, not Louis Spohr. Otherwise, I think we know. I might thing. embarrass myself here. Oh, but no. I'm, yeah, you'll be right. Now, I decided <laughs> to do something a little bit different to this month. Um, I have taken a visit to the Opera Base website and picked <laughs> the 20 most performed operas in the world Ooh. of the past okay. year. 
I would like you both uh, to take it in turns to name one of those operas. In the past year? In the past year, around the world. You can um, have one incorrect answer. Not the deal. You, but once you've got two, you're out. You're out. I'll, give you, I'll give you one Tonight. clue. There are no surprises. <laughs> <in this laughs> yeah, yeah. The 20 most performed operas around the world over the past year, according to Opera Base, Sophie... Right, let's give it 20. You Go can on, start. You get these. Okay, I'm going to start with the easy one. I'm yeah. going to start with La Traviata. Correct, number one. Bohème. Correct, number three. Carmen. Correct, number four. Magic Flute. Number two. You've picked the top four. Yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Figaro. Which one? Marriage of. Yes, correct. Which number? What's that? About ten. Right, right. Giovanni. Yeah, one above it. What have we said? Um... I've forgotten all my opera, Tosca. No, that must be Correct, there. higher than Giovanni and Figaro. Right. Oh, wow. Butterfly. Just under Tosca. You, you've you've almost hit the top ten. This come is really on, impressive. Come on, yeah. Um, what else? Otello? Um, uh, That's our first one incorrect. Oh, oh, no. Careful. One strike, Sophie. Rigoletto. Oh. Rigoletto is in there. It's about number eight or nine. Yep. That's going to be in there. Oh, I'm going to struggle now. That's all the operas I know. There's no sports you're on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I told you there were no surprises. <laughs> yeah. uh, we've had... Oh, Cuzzy. Correct. That's down there, about 15. Is that, is that down bottom? Um, what are the big verdes? Yeah. That Traviat, I've had a Rigoletto. It's one of the big, big verdes. It's Falstaff in there. Falstaff is not in there. Oh! One strike to Ben. Oh. Pressure's on now. Pressure's on. We've got some more Verdi. We've got some more Puccini. Um, Nabucco? Yes, oh. Nabucco. Oh, is in there. It took me a while to find it, but yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. With Puccini, we've got Tosca, Bohem, Tosca, Bohem, Butterfly. Yeah. Gianni Schicke. I'm afraid you've lost it. <laughs> well done to Sophie. You also could Hurrah. have had... Yeah, go for it. Barbara of Seville. Oh, okay. but that's good. Yeah. You yeah. could have had Turandot, uh-huh. Fledermaus, Hansel and Gretel, Aida, oh. L'Elysée d'Amore, Il Trovatore, uh, the Lustica Vitva, or um, Mary Widow. Widow, and Umballo in Mascara. I was about to say Ballo, and I thought, no oh, way. I didn't think that'd be How has Ballo performed more often than Otello? Yeah, I don't know. Cheaper. According to yeah, the that's what it is. Cheap. I mean, one. Oh, the yeah. top twenty. Yeah. Um, but congratulations, you did a pretty <laughs> good job. That was good. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. That's Especially good. knocking out pretty much all the top, the top ten, ten in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> good. That's fun. Mad that skills fun. there from Sophie and Ben. Congratulations, yeah. congratulations, Sophie. Yeah, well done. Hurrah! Thank you very much for listening to this month's OperaCast. Do join us next month for our bite-sized episodes from Cardiff Singer of the World. Really looking forward to that. Um, all that's left is for me to say a huge thank you to Sophie for joining us. Thank you. It's been great to be here. And a huge thank you to Mr Ben Crick. Pleasure as always. And we will uh, see you next month. <laughs>